0: Welcome to episode number 246 of Destination Linux, whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of Sudo, this is the show for you. My name is Ryan, and with me today are Michael, Jill, and Noah. Also, just off camera, but piped in directly from Jitsi, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. So We're so glad to have them here with us today, and on this week's episode of Destination Linux... We are going to be discussing something that's changed in the community of popular YouTube personalities that now one of the major popular personalities is challenging their whole crew to use Linux and what this could mean. Is this all stemming from the new Steam Deck? I think this has a lot to do with it, but we're going to get into that in that part of the show. Then we're going to discuss security concerns popping up around things like WSL. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week, we received an email from Jim, who is not very happy with you, Michael and Noah. You guys are on the naughty list. What I do? What Both we of doing? you. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you why you're on the naughty list. See, some people Bad say boys. we just pick the nice emails. That's not true. If it's not talking about me, I include it in the show. Um, <laughs> I do want to emphasize that I had to trim out a lot of the details here due to the length because Jim said he had a five-page email about this topic. You all worked him up over this, uh, but then got it down to one page, and I even had to trim that. But here here we go. While listening to your podcast, I couldn't help but think to myself, these people are talking about a subject with they have no experience. I found myself thinking about each host's comment. Foremost, I found it difficult to follow Michael and Noah. The comments were all mixed up. And not wanting to seem like I'm attacking them because I'm not. It sure feels like it, Jim. I'm feeling a little bit attacked, but no. <laughs> I'm going to try to cover some things that were discussed that I found misleading. I need to be clear though. What Michael Noah said was wrong in every way without exception. <laughs> it was not a matter of their opinion. I don't mean to laugh. It's just you're very, you're very aggressive. An example, you do not negotiate with companies such as Microsoft, Google, or Yahoo to get your mail delivered. So this is related to the mail discussion where at the end of it, we were talking about all the different open source projects. It was a very small portion of the overall discussion. We were talking about mail services you could use, and it was kind of like, yeah, you could host your own, but it's generally considered not a good idea because there's a lot of things to to consider. It wasn't the whole focus of a show either, which is kind of interesting, but this person's very passionate about mail. Um, I'm not sure where Michael got this from. Instead, there are standards and technologies to permit the free exchange of emails in a secure and verifiable way. Most of your listeners are not going to run big email servers. They build one for themselves or in family. Um, The notion of taking hours and hours to manage is unrealistic. Maybe a large company with thousands of employees and then generally don't end up on these lists and standards if you implement the proper tools, which of course everybody knows what this... Oh wait, I'm not responding yet. All email servers have downtime. Your downtime will be no more prevalent than like say your local ISP. Uh, they talk about using a Proxmox gateway and all being processed with virus blockers and PMG can be configured to use the RBLs and different filters and all of this stuff there. Uh, he then says, my apologies to link the email. The original email is five pages. I was hard-pressed to provide examples. Suffice it to say, there's more that I'd like to have commented on Jim. So Jim's very passionate here about this and he has really not liked the way that you all represented email servers. Me and Jill were fine, by the way. So... Go ahead and respond.
1: <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>, nice popcorn. <laughs> it pulls out popcorn.
2: <laughs> so first of all, uh, I don't think either Mike or, uh, Michael or I said that you can't host your own email server. Yeah, you I most certainly can, like if you want to, um, what we said was you're going to find quick, pretty quick that it's not worth the effort. And it's so much more work than you anticipated it to be, which by the way, I would stand by and say that's a true statement. So, uh, Here's the deal. Yes, you can maintain those lists, and yes, you can request to get off of those lists, and yes, you can set up high availability on a server, and so when one goes down, another one comes up, and have a load balancer, and all of those kinds of things. Right, you can absolutely do those things, and you could definitely make it work. But when you start looking at, like, for example, when my uh, on a uh, server goes down, and I go and I log in and I restart it, and I have access to my notes, and no loss, no foul. I haven't missed two hours worth of email that then got a bounce message that went back to a potential client or an employee or, or something like that because that email server went down email is it's like hot running water these days. Like it, to a certain degree, we expect that to be up, and there isn't a lot of fault tolerance built into the email protocol. When the server isn't there or doesn't respond, it just hey, I couldn't deliver this to this 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 mail server, and you're going to get a bounce back message. Um, and depending on the organization that you have, that is going to cause problems down the road if you don't proactively go back to those organizations and say hey, we got the problem fixed. You can go ahead and send me email now. Uh, aside from all of the spam stuff that we talked about, but uh, you know, and Michael, I'd like to get your thoughts on this too. We both Michael and I come at this from the standpoint of, well, we've done it. we've We've gone out there. We've hosted mail servers. we both of us have been paid to host servers for organizations. And we eventually both got to a point where we're like, nope, not I. Like we'll pay you to do that because I'm not doing that anymore.
1: That is very much accurate. I've done it my, for myself. I've even done like a semi-hosted, not hosted sort of approach. And I've also done it for uh, clients and stuff like that for hosting their email. And I can tell you that I will never do that again. That is a massive pain. But there is there are tons of services that do email and they do it well. So we were kind of more talking about, you know, those are easier to do and easier to deal with than doing self-hosting. And there's many options here when it comes to email. But what was funny when, when you were talking about like what the issues were, and I read this email as well in full, because I was curious when he said, we're going to be talking about this. Oh, what did I get wrong? Because I'm okay with being wrong. It, it happens. It's it's rare, but it happens. So much. I mean, yeah, <laughs> rare. Super rare. But uh, it's it was interesting because uh, I, the way I read it, was listing off all the things that you could do in order to, you know, have your own mail server. And, you know, maybe I was wrong about the blacklisting. I don't remember exactly what I said in terms of blacklisting. I, that is a thing you have to deal with, but maybe you don't do it as much anymore because uh, I've had I saw a couple of comments on YouTube and also on the DLN forum at DLnforum.com where they did leave a comment about the the what I said about the email. And I do think that it's fair that the blacklisting stuff I might have oversold that being too difficult. But based on all of the responses that we've received, I think I'm still right in saying that it's still very difficult and not worth doing because all of these things, you need to have a, a you know, proxy gateway, you need to have a virus scanning, spam assassin, you know, all these sorts of things like blacklist and uh, you know, setting up your own personal block list, all these things are way more effort than typically you would want to do for email.
2: Maybe we amend our st- our stance Michael. Maybe we change it to uh you can totally host self email. But you're just going to spend a lot of time doing it.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'll go with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: this individual Jim, you know, I think he had in his email signature I didn't, I didn't put the full email in here but like 15 years experience doing this. Certainly this is something he's very passionate about. You could tell by the amount of knowledge in the five pages. And, but what was funny when I was reading it, this non five page version, but the shortened version he's in is it looked really complicated. Like the email was saying, this isn't complicated, but then listed all of these things you got to track. But for him in his profession, does this professionally? Of course it's not. That's what he does. So I think this is a good example of somebody, this is their wheelhouse. This is something they've, they've done, they've taken on. And to them, it's really simple. To your average person, though, I would still stand by the advice that it's much easier to use a service that's already out there like a Tutanota or a ProtonMail and let them deal with those problems. The other reason is if you don't have experience with this stuff and you mess it up, you you potentially have your emails out there for everybody. This is not something you want to play with. That does say don't host your own stuff, but you got to really take the time to know this before you just go out and take that step with your email. Email to me is very personal. I have more personal stuff come to email than through my mailbox. So I'm not gonna just trust Mm. that my 15 minutes of uh, learning about it in a, a random blog post is gonna be enough for me to secure my emails well enough to go and host my own.
1: Well, some other thing, if somebody wants to tip, to dip their toes into self-hosting email, they, they could try out what I suggested in the previous episode about doing a shared hosting email service because it's kind of self-hosting your email, but also not, you're like mm-hmm. purchasing a an e- an hosting plan and they handle like the spam assassin and all that stuff for you, and it might make it easier. We also are gonna have uh, links in the show notes for more details about, you know, maybe like pros and cons of doing, a uh, hosting your own mail server.
0: Funny enough, too, Michael, like I found this article when I was researching this because I wanted to see, well, how wrong are they before I baked a whole bag of popcorn? And (laughs) what I found out is uh, Digital Ocean, who obviously is all about people hosting their own things, all their own services, everything you could imagine, has an article out there on their site, why you may not want to run your own mail server. So (laughs) it's like in the first heading is mail servers are very complex, um, and it goes through all the things that components that you have to be leery of. You have to know about mail transfer agents, mail delivery agents, IMAP, pop three servers, spam filters, antivirus, webmail, all of these things. So, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think what you, unfortunately for me, who can't riff on you for the rest of the year, I don't think what the advice that you guys gave was wrong in any way. Um, <laughs> but if it, in any way we gave the idea that you can't do this or you shouldn't do this, I mean, if you want to, do whatever you want yeah. build whatever you want but Jim seriously thank you for the email it was it was uh again it was interesting to kind of go through and double check our stance on this and that's what the the email in my opinion kind of made us do to make sure this was something that Uh, We still believe in, but certainly, obviously, you're very experienced in this and and keep running Mm -hmm. awesome services and maybe put tutorials and things out there uh, with all of your experience out there to help others who may want to host their own email server.
1: I also learned a lot from this email, and I want to thank you for that because it has been a while since I did my own full self-hosted mail server stuff, and there were a lot of changes since I did it. So thank you very much.
3: Mm -hmm. And I haven't done it since the 90s, (laughs) so I, I used Squirrel Mail back in
2: the day.
1: Oh, wow, those bring back memories. (laughs) Yeah. Not very good memories, but those bring back memories.
2: (laughs) So like Michael and I have said, all of last episode and all of this episode, you should definitely host your own mail server. So thank you for agreeing (laughs) with us writing in. And uh, when you spin up your own mail server, you could run it on DigitalOcean, your own mail server. That's where this episode is brought to you by. It's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean and their new app platform service, which helps you build cloud native apps for way less money. With their app platform, you can build and deploy and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever with their simple and easy to use intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform at your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're into Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, Docker, running their app platform on their infrastructure. DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smooth migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure and set it up too. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can start. You can get started for free. In fact, it gets better. DigitalOcean is going to start by giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, do.co slash DLN to get started for free with a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app Platform. This is the easiest way to get your code running in production, and you can get started with a $100 credit. People are going to pay you to give this a shot. You know why? Because they know once you start, you'll never go back. So, do.co slash deal, and that's do.co slash deal. And go ahead and take advantage of that $100 free credit. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
0: Okay. So, Michael, Noah, Jill. I'm out of touch this week. Work's been crazy, but as friends, there's something that happened in the news that I have to talk to you guys about related to one of the biggest YouTube channels out there has a huge following. What do they call them now? Influencers, Michael? Influencers, influencers yeah. Uh, number yeah. one influencer in tech, probably <laughs> one of the top influencers in the tech world. Has now that they've been dabbled in Linux in the past. This is like Ryan, Linux tech we've been tips. using
2: Linux for a long time. Oh, oh, I'm oh, sorry. Oh,
0: you're talking about us. Yeah, good oh, point. Yeah. <laughs> uh second biggest influencer out there in tech. They've been using Linux off and on, kind of doing little videos here and there, kind of showing this is what's going on. But this is the first time I'm hearing this week that they are actually challenging their team to switch to Linux. Now I predicted when the Steam Deck dropped that everything was going to change for Linux from a desktop perspective, that this was going to be a game changer that was going to have impacts across the entire ecosystem of Linux. And I'm not saying they're related, but I'm saying they're related because (laughs) it just seems like everything's changing. Well, I just want to pass it to you because you guys know more about this. We were kind of talking about it pre-show, and I'm just so excited about this possibility because it's going to expose more people to Linux on the desktop. But why is Tech Tips leaving Windows or considering leaving Windows and doing this challenge. What happened this week?
2: So they were, I think last Sunday, they were listening to an episode of Destination Linux and they got done with that episode and said to themselves, hey, why is it that people like Gabe Newell And Valve have said, hey, if we're going to be interested in making gaming products and potentially making gaming devices, maybe we'd want to switch over to a platform that will support that. And so they go over to Linux. And so now it's finally gotten to the point where it's mainstream enough that people are comfortable stepping out and saying, yeah, sure, I'll give that a shot. And with with the Steam Deck coming later this year, um, I think that really opens the door for people that would have never tried Linux before because of gaming or productivity or whatever else to say, hey, maybe now this is the time. And so that's kind of where that discussion, I think, starts. Michael, kind of be interested in your thoughts as well.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, value in terms of what we've been talking about related to the Steam Deck making people interested into it. Also, just seeing Destination Linux, and I think that's also another factor. But I, I do think it's really interesting that they're making they're taking this challenge because they're, it, th- This is coming from the announcement that microsoft made saying that they're going to introduce something called the virtualization based security and there have been tests that have been uh, pc gamer made an article talking about uh, the results that they got fa- finding that there's a loss of, of frame rates with a, a 20 up to a 28 percent drop in the average Whoa, frame rates that's or something.
0: huge yeah you're talking about at a time by the way when nobody can get gpus and the exactly. GPU's people can get are mm-hmm. generations behind, and then on the generations behind, you're going to move them to Windows 11 with the 28% frame rate drop. This is this is big. It's bigger than a bread box. Yeah, here. they actually
1: yeah. in the PC gamer article they say that it's this kind of drop in frame rate is like dropping down an entire tier of graphics card. Like that is oh, a huge wow. difference. So uh, it is. It's interesting that they're doing it. So that in, that in combination with the Steam Deck, they seem to be you know jumping into the space of trying it out. And I think it's really funny that they're doing like this punishment thing for whoever goes back first. And I, but I, I do want to say that <laughs> can it, we
0: do that with Michael Noah? A punishment if he
1: goes
3: <laughs> back to what? <laughs> he goes back always, to Windows. Yeah,
2: yeah. Ryan, the punishment is we constantly give him a hard time every time oh. he shows up here and uses Windows. I haven't which used, funny used cause Windows cause,
1: in no, like twelve years. I don't know what Michael. You're talking that's
2: about. irrelevant. <laughs>
1: Sure. Anyway, <laughs> so um any back to the actual news. So this <laughs> this is interesting because I mean it's it's an opportunity to see what happens with people who are users of Windows trying out Linux and see what happens for their experience, but also to let them know that we are there to help you if you need any, you know, you any advice or need any tips about what kind of like distros and stuff.
0: Well, what about like their suggestions? What are they going to what distro did they choose? To run in this challenge or can everybody pick whatever they want and hopefully it's arch
3: it was uh pop os Suse, even Gentoo was on the list and arch
0: arch was on the list
3: joe yeah okay good. Yes. there was a lot of options
1: but one of the things they did mention is how that fedora was not an option and as yeah. someone who uses fedora every day i would definitely have to disagree with that there's actually has been a reputation that fedora had for many years where they would test things out and something you know might be too early because, but most of the thing that 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 reputation came from was a single release.
0: I, I think it's the one I ran into. I, uh, I ran into one of the Fedoras way back when. I'm not talking now. Now Fedora is a completely different beast. But back in the day, and I remember this was very early in my Linux journey. Going, I will never install that distro again. Like somebody had recommended it, and it was really? just it was it was incompatible with all of my hardware at the time. And I was doing a video talking about hey, look, this is amazing. This Linux stuff can work on anything. Um, But Fedora is very different today. It's very different. A lot of times, because of their hardware enablement, they're one of the few distros that does have support for the latest hardware and things out there. But back in the day... I, had it. I personally had a different experience with yeah. Fedora. It's yeah. interesting
1: because you talked about like the, the fact that you've mentioned many times on the show, and I am even, I'm even uh, a person who is a perpetuator of this, where you would have an opinion uh, many years ago and stick to it rather than you know reassessing the situation about whatever the insert software is. And I did the same thing with Fedora. And then last year, I decided to try it again, and I've been using it ever since. I mean, Fedora has become a much... Much different experience uh, from my previous previous times trying it out.
0: Yeah. So, do you know what their issue was with Fedora? was it just a thought that maybe they'd used it in the past and it wasn't reliable, or did they actually try to use it and it failed? Or no. Something? They they
3: had they admitted that they they haven't kept up in the world of Linux and they don't know that Fedora 34 especially is the new hotness with PipeWire gotcha. and Wayland. Yeah. They just they're just not aware because they haven't ran it in a long time. They had. Uh, a while ago, one of the hosts had. but
0: They need to connect with it
3: us. It's been a long yeah. time.
2: But you, you know, though, this is, this is really an opportunity for us, though, right? Absolutely. Well, we talk yeah. all the time about being an inclusive and welcoming community. And so, you know, this is our opportunity to say, okay, well, whatever their reasons are that they decided that Fedora wasn't right for him, that's okay. Whatever distro they decided is a great distribution to start on. And I think that all of us, I think all four of us have, at one time or another expressed a frustration in the fact that we started with something or went to use a distribution and somebody told us that's not the right thing or you have misguided information or why. So what I would say is whatever distro you think is the right one to start with, it's probably the right one to start with. The only advice that we would have for you is as you grow into Linux community, what you're probably going to find is that all of the distributions have their own little bit of special sauce on it and they're all unique and and beneficial in their own way. And so I wouldn't close any doors. I, I would come into it with an open mind and see where your Linux journey takes you because it's not about the destination. It's about the journey.
0: Ah, nice, nice tie in there.
3: (laughs) WebRTC and audio work on Linux, and they work beautifully. Mm. We're a demonstration of that right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Well, I think this is awesome, and I really want to highlight what Noah mentioned there because we we did in a prior episode talk about the importance of not eating our own. And so Mm -hmm. as they're going through this journey, let's not make sure to leave scathing comments of, you know, you morons! How dare you didn't know that Fedora is no. actually awesome! But rather, <laughs> let's encourage yeah. and show them the oh, best yeah. side of this community and really encourage them because they are influencers. Yeah. And it is going to drive more people to experience the awesomeness of Linux. And yes, a lot of the videos will be benchmarks and gaming stuff, but that's where it all begins, right? The kids go there, and then they go, what else is in this operating system? And start doing open source IDEs and start doing open source, um, you know, art and video editing and open source everything. And, and it's really a nice dropping off. And what's mm-hmm. interesting to me is Windows just keeps giving us these opportunities. Like exactly. with Windows 11. Yeah. Now, I mean, well, the TPM 2.0 <laughs> is a big thing, right? Everybody with hardware that's uh-huh. five years or older will not be able to even run Windows 11 uh, in, in many cases because of this TPM 2.0. And now they're doing this thing where they're going to lower the performance at a time when nobody can get hardware. To increase the performance of their stuff. So you're going to feel a 28% more than ever when the only thing you got is your Intel HD integrated graphics laptop that you hope <laughs> you can game on. Like, I mean, that's... This is really interesting times that Windows just keeps feeding us. It's almost like it's done on purpose.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the Steam Deck, I've been following uh, the Linus Media Group with with their, their testing of the Steam Deck. And Linus Sebastian was blown away by the Steam Deck when he went to... He was one of the, the early people that could test it at Valve. And he was impressed with how plug-and-play it was. And he brought a monitor and a keyboard and mouse. Because it's Arch. and was Yeah. And it just, you know, recognized it, of course, because it's Linux. And Arch. the developer said he had never uh, tested this particular monitor. But he said, oh, it's Linux. It's It'll work. It's plug-and-play. Yeah. And, and Linus was really, really impressed by that and the quality, you know, the, the speed of the frames per second on the, on the Steam Deck and just everything about it. Cannot and wait to get
0: my hands on yeah, that thing. I know. Oh, yeah. I'm super and excited about it. And he's been
3: really impressed with System76 and what they did with the Thelio. And that was why Pop!OS is one of his top choices to try. Because mm. they have done an awesome job, you know, with Ubuntu and GNOME desktop, and adding so many wonderful features that are great for beginners and advanced users alike.
0: You bring up a really interesting point, Jill. Mm-hmm. Because we did a we were talking about underrated distros, and I think it was Noah that said Pop OS, and there were a couple of people commenting like, "What is Noah talking about? Pop OS isn't underrated." And I think he's actually right. It is in the way that. When, when I did all of these hardware moves, right? When I was switching to the latest AMD graphics card, when the new motherboards came out with PCIe 4.0, came out for the AMD Ryzen chipsets, I was down trying to use other distros. Like none of them worked. And mm. then I would take Pop OS put it in there, boom, it works. Now, a lot of this is because they're supporting that desktop hardware with their Thelios and other things. They're taking Ubuntu, they're putting the additional hardware enablement stacks in, getting it working before anybody else. And in that way, I feel like Pop! OS is underrated when you think about, when I think Mm -hmm. about the most compatible distros out there with hardware, when when I have a brand new motherboard, a brand new CPU, a brand new GPU, the distros I'm going to go to get my system up and running are either Arch or Pop! OS. That's what I found in my testing. So I I think it's really interesting they put Pop OS in there. In some ways, Pop OS is underrated for as much work that they do getting Ubuntu to the point where it actually can run on modern hardware.
3: And the NVIDIA drivers, that is huge.
1: Oh, yeah, the NVIDIA drivers Yeah, sure. having
3: that integrated, and, and they were the <laughs> first to do it.
1: And also having it separate options where if you have NVIDIA, it just tells you to get the NVIDIA and you don't have to worry about yeah. getting the extra stuff, you know, additionally after you do it. Like, that, that's a great approach because of, I think, I'm going to say it, when it comes to hardware support and just ease of use getting started, I would argue Pop! OS is a better option than Ubuntu. I think they do Ubuntu better than mm-hmm. Ubuntu. yes
2: no 100 and i am routinely surprised that pop os doesn't have the popularity that linux mint does every time i hear somebody say oh i I switched over to linux mint and that got me started with linux i think to myself why wouldn't that be pop os and then specifically related to the comment of why i think it's an underrated distro i also think pop os is highly applicable to the advanced linux user that says to themselves I need a working Linux desktop environment cuz guess what they're going to take care of all of the the tiling stuff and and that is the kind of combination of a professional yeah. work environment a professional tool that I would expect to be able to really get my my job done combined with ease of on-ramp and backed by a company that cares about the desktop Linux experience I
0: think that's all very well said And some people are asking in the comments, not everybody's familiar with the big YouTubers and stuff. So Linus Tech Tips is a huge technology YouTube channel, again, out there with about 14 million subscribers. So just below us and uh, second to us. But 14 million people, (laughs) think about that. the, The chance of potentially hitting 14 million people with the popularity of Linux and them utilizing Linux and talking about Linux, I think is huge. Plus, frankly, I think there's a lot of things going on in the windows environment are just boring. If you're thinking about a channel content creator, how many times can you show the same boring windows benchmarks over and over and over and over and over over again? So in a way it's kind of brilliant for him to start moving towards Linux. And it's also a wonderful time to move to Linux because we have so many exciting things going on, which also just to double down on proves how dumb those other YouTubers out there who are talking about the Linux desktop being dead. Can I get an amen? Um, amen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. And also, I mean, we, we talked about it last week in Destination Linux 245, where we talked about what does des- Linux desktop need for domination of the desktop. And we are all we say we're already super close, and we just need to get over that finish line. And I think something like this, getting more eyeballs on it, is a an, a really good way of getting that closer. And there's a lot of great uh, comments on the DLN forum about that topic, so check that out. We'll have links in the show notes for that. But I I think it's great that Linus Tech Tips is considering this. And uh, if you would like to have, you know, a brainstorming session with us, we would love to have you on the show to talk about, you know, your experience, Mm. you know, like we could also show you like different tips and tricks between because we we happen to do that on every episode. You know, there's so many things we would love to have you on the show. So just think about it.
0: Let me show you the power of Vim.
1: Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. We might have to talk about this off air before we suggest. Okay. things (laughs) you might want to start a little bit you know
0: not so start with nano then go vim i got you well okay maybe maybe micro i like Emacs. emax all right yeah we could
1: go into the weeds about what terminal text (laughs) sitter to
0: use (laughs) nano year of the Linux desktop is now now
2: before now we're perfecting the year of the linux i
0: like i like how you think exactly yeah now can michael do an ad read (laughs) Dun, dun, dun.
1: <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at Bitwarden.com slash DLN. You can check out this great software by going there and getting uh the popcorn has definitely messed me up. Mm, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I was trying to I was trying I to ignore it. I, <laughs> I was trying to ignore it. <laughs> All, right. All right, for reals this time. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager. And if you're not familiar with a password manager, it is a way to get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides many different types of tools to make that experience easy by being able to store those passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. And you can also access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line. Also, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-encryption locally on your devices before it ever leaves your device. So that no, that's you know that you're the only person with access to your data. And that is a very, very important thing because if, if there is any kind of issue with leaking data or whatever, it's a bunch of gibberish because you're the only one who has code to make it available, uh, visible. So go to bitwarden.com to get started And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also want you to check out the premium premium accounts because they start at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file, uh, file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So for less than a dollar per month, you can get all of this, but you also might want to check out their family accounts or their business accounts because there's tons of extra features on those. So for example, if you have friends and family that you want to be able to help set up their account and be able to easily share passwords, you can check out their family, their family accounts where you can uh, create a vault that is shared between. And also you can check out their business accounts for the same kind of thing, for like setting up employees to be able to have easy password sharing through the organizational vaults. So much great stuff. They also even now have a way to easily send files back and forth with Bitwarden Send. So much great stuff. Check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. I am absolutely putting the outtake in about the popcorn. 100%. 100%.
3: Yeah. 100%. <laughs> That's great.
1: Microsoft shocked the world in 2014 when they announced that Microsoft hearts Linux, where, of course, everyone believed them. Yes. To, to be clear, when I say hearts Linux, they, they, their message wasn't Microsoft loves Linux, but they used a heart emoji instead. So I think there's a little bit of telling there.
0: That's what the kids use these days, Michael. Come on. Catch oh, up my, bad, my bad. My bad.
1: My bad. But then in 2016, Microsoft electrocuted, not just shocked the world, with their (laughs) with their integration of WSL into Windows. So that's the Windows Subsystem for Linux for Windows. Now this new functionality was welcomed by developers because it gave them access to Linux tools and what is described that how they describe it as a near native environment, and it also a creates a new attack surface threat that bad actors can. And now we know. I didn't even really target. think
0: about this when WSL dropped. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. Like, I I wasn't a fan of it right away because I kind of felt like this is Microsoft taking the popularity of Linux and just incorporating it so people don't leave. And, oh yeah, absolutely. And, and then basically get more people to just to take their boxes in a workplace. They may have a separate Linux development environment and a separate Windows development environment, and make it so they can get rid of the Linux boxes. Like, I kind of in my mind, it was a bigger picture thing. I'm not saying I was right. That's just how I kind of felt about it the entire time. But I really didn't consider the fact, like Bo Weaver popped in my head when I was reading this, going, you want to minimize the amount of attack surfaces you have always, that you now have two operating systems. One is a subsystem underneath Windows that a hacker can utilize to basically jump back and forth between the two. So if you have a vulnerability in Linux, you're now potentially opening up a vulnerability in the Windows space and vice versa. And that's exactly what happened or what Black Lotus has found out is starting to be written in these viruses that they're finding. But here's the scariest part. They're not detectable because of how they're written. Like their detectability by these scanning tools that are looking for this stuff is rated at like a zero and a one. Yep. Which means it's very difficult. Most scanners are not even going to pick up that they exist, which was really interesting. So if a business is out there and they're like, Hey, this is great. We've got WSL. We can stop having these separate Linux boxes. You may want to reconsider that concept and keep those separate boxes together if you need both environments, because Mm. this type of stuff is not going to get less frequent. Now that they've been able to do this with simple Python scripts, it's going to become more frequent.
1: Yep, it's it's definitely a good point because there it will be becoming more more frequent because especially with the announcement that there's not any there's not really any detection, they they, they compiled it into it the Linux binary format ELF. Which means executable and linkable format, and also they did it with the De- the Debian operating system with their testing. And when they find these this this malware, so this is something that is concerning because of the fact that there's no uh, no detection agents right now. That uh, hopefully this brings up more people to fix that to create those detections, but it does create a bigger target. And I think this begs the question. Is adding a near native Linux environment in Windows really even a good idea? You know, m- there's we talked about how it could be, you know, keeping people from even trying Linux in terms of like the overall experience, which I was a, always had a problem with WSL in general for that reason. But now it could get worse. I mean, are these types of attacks only going to become rampant? Are we just doubling the attack surface like Ryan said? So what do y'all think?
3: Oh, I um, absolutely think that that now that there is public awareness and we know what to look for, you know, hopefully the operating systems will be meticulously scrutinized for these attack vectors. And this will be included in in the modern Windows virus (laughs) protocols.
0: I mean, do do we think it will be included though? I mean, we've seen situations where we find zero days and things that don't get addressed right away. That's yeah. that's kind of my fear is Windows eleven's a big sure. distraction right now. Are they even gonna be looking into
1: this? I don't Very think cool. Microsoft's going to be looking into it at all, period. I do think that uh, these antivirus companies and stuff like that will be starting to create signatures and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um I think it's a good question because Microsoft I mean there's there's been cases for a long time where Microsoft were given reports of zero days that they chose to ignore for years. Like that not only is it, you know, a possibility that it would happen, it's already happened. So well,
0: apparently they these attacks this this one we're talking about is a newer one. I don't think they've actually noticed that it was out there, this particular one. know. Oh, I, I think this is been a used very, yet. very new one. But yeah. there is one in June and early July that this technique or very similar one was used to target Ecuador and France, interacting with an IP address on different ports between 39,000 and 48,000 here. I, I guess that's the way that this particular package was attacking. But the ELF files, it says, were first identified in August and designed to fetch an embedded or remote payload and inject it using Windows APIs. So it's very, it's it's kind of a non-advanced attack, but also very advanced in what it can destroy mm. if it's successful. Meaning the implementation of it is actually quite simplistic. Yeah. Um, but what it can do is actually quite dangerous. Noah, you deal with a lot of businesses. You advise a lot of businesses in this thing. If, if a company has to have an environment where they have both Windows and Linux, do you recommend WSL or do you try to keep those environments separate or where are you at on this?
2: To answer your question directly, what we typically recommend people do is virtualize their Windows environments and then access that from a Linux environment. So Linux is always running on the metal, both on the client side and on the server side. Mm-hmm. Then, if we need Windows, we just virtualize it on top and 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 I essentially, to, I put it this way, I obfuscate your crappy Windows operating system into a tiny little application that my Linux box can handle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and 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 so that that's how we deal with that. So then kind of coming back as it relates to WSL, WSL is it's it's both exciting and it is terrifying. It's exciting because we are starting to see places accept Linux and use Linux in ways that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. The problem and the reason that it makes our news docket uh, today is every time you do that and every time even if you are using Linux inside of a inside of a, a Windows system you when windows is running on the metal windows is ultimately in charge of that of that box and ultimately owns it and so when there are security vulnerabilities that come with it um, you deal with those and and you're subject to those and i don't I, i would just say for myself i personally wouldn't trust microsoft to maintain the security of my box and that's not a hit on mm-hmm. Windows per se, it's just a hit on a company the size of Microsoft trying to accomplish what Microsoft is. That is to say, they just want you to sign up for their service and they want to make money off of you. The end result of the technological experience is really not of very much concern to Microsoft. And that's right. concerning.
0: Unless it makes big enough news splash Unless, and then they might go address it. Yeah.
2: Because it's tied to their money, because it's tied to their wallet, right. those news splashes take people away. Otherwise, I don't even know if they would care then. Right.
3: Yeah, so it's up to the Linux developers, as they always do, to scrutinize uh, these attack vectors. Mm. Yeah. So, that's a good yeah. point
1: too because we're mm-hmm. uh, th- that does mean that if you think about it like the those antivirus companies are going to be looking into the to make signatures for this but also there will be probably companies in the Linux space who have to deal with this sort of thing doing it too uh, but there's it's interesting that you mentioned Noah about how you suggest you know having Windows in an isolated environment and having the mm-hmm. hardware being Linux that's what I deployed kind of to. brilliant
0: actually yeah mm-hmm. I've deployed
1: that as well and I've had I've actually had like kind of the reverse where some companies wanted to do that. That that part was an interesting experience because every time they had Windows being run on the on the bare metal, it always had random issues. I mean, they had employees installing coupon toolbars that was making a virus for everyone on this <laughs> network, and all these sorts of things. And when they when they deployed Linux in this that that configuration, it was such a better experience, and they and they all loved it. And they still got to use their systems, but that's more of like a big company deployment sort of thing. So let's maybe talk about it in the terms. Of of like the average desktop user, do you think that it'd be a good suggestion to have Linux on your bare, bare metal and then put in the uh, Windows inside of a virtual machine, such as VirtualBox or whatever, you know, it could be Vert Manager and any anything Why like not? that. Yeah. And Because I, the reason I'm asking this is because I think it'd be a, a solid option, but also it relates back to the previous topic with Linus Text Tips uh, trying out Linux because of the degrading of the support for gaming so you kind of maybe want to do like it used to be like you, you don't want it. You want to you can put Windows in it, but you can't play games in the virtual machine. And then there was the whole looking glass system where you could do GPU pass through and that kind of solved that problem. But now it seems that like with Windows 11, that might not even be incentive in the first place. Maybe the Linux hardware, bare metal is the incentive now. So I think this is a potential game changer that Microsoft accidentally helped
0: us with. <laughs> Thanks, Microsoft. Yeah. You do love Linux, after all. You know what? <laughs> they were right this
2: whole
3: time. Yeah. Windows they just keep us. attack vectors for Linux.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's very, very interesting. That.
0: And by the way, can I take us back to show a little respect for, even though we all hate malware and viruses, the brilliance of the malware that is coupon search <laughs> in your browser? Because how many companies and personal yeah. computers have been ruined with the coupon toolbar? I mean, this... Yeah. Whoever yeah. came up with that, I mean, they really saving twenty percent on something gets everybody.
1: They they were just they. We they don't respect you for the making those, but we do respect the 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 cleverness of it. It
0: was very clever. Look at how many people mm-hmm. it took out. Like, what do you mean save five percent on this purchase? Install <laughs> yes, next. I don't care what it takes control of. Ah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it, it does seem like uh we're that we're gonna somehow. You know, fix this kind of issue that the people are having with these binary form the elf binary formats so we're going to have to put elf on a shelf and figure out a solution.
0: Oh too. Wow. <laughs> wow. Not, not oh this God. show too, Michael, not this show too. I, I mean Keep if your it's dad there jokes to yourself. If, if it's there, it has to happen. So be careful if you're running WSL out there. You are now a target of new attacks that are popping up. It's just going to get more and more leveraged, I think, in the future.
3: So, while this game isn't new, I noticed it topping the charts on what games are being played on Linux this week. That game is The Long Dark. The Long Dark has over 70,000 Ooh. very positive reviews on Steam, and yeah, it's des- deserved of that too, and describes itself like this, The Long Dark is a thoughtful, exploration survival experience that challenges solo players to think for themselves as they explore an expansive frozen wilderness in the aftermath of a geomagnetic disaster. There are no zombies, only you, the freezing cold, and all the threats Mother Nature can muster. So welcome to The Long Dark, the innovative, Exploration Survival Experience Wired magazine calls the pinnacle of an entire genre and it really really is it yeah. it deserves that looking at this game the
0: the <laughs> graphics are gorgeous yes. it has these beautiful ethereal soundtrack environmental yeah. sounds that make you feel like you're almost in a part of an apocalyptic yeah. type yes. scenario going on like even watching the trailer you start to feel lonely as the characters kind of going through areas and i'm like wow they really knew what they were doing clearly with the amount of reviews and reception that they got here and the game was on sale and i saw it topping the charts for linux people playing it and i just thought how cool is that that we live in a time with (laughs) linux now where a chart topping game like this can be played natively Right here in Linux, this AAA so game exciting. that so many people love, Woo-hoo. we could just download it and play it. We don't have to dual boot; it's just right there for us. Yeah. Thanks to yeah. so many people out there: Steam, Valve, Widevine. Well, no, Widevine. Why did I say Widevine? Wine. Uh, <laughs> Wine. Thank
3: you. <laughs> Wine and Proton. Well, yes, and, 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 Proton, uh,
1: and Proton and all Code of Weavers. Yeah. And, like all the great work that everybody's doing to make these native games, and also the independent developers who are porting games to Linux and all that stuff. It's it's so. It's so fantastic that we're we're in this kind of situation with with uh, when we want to see it play a game. It is almost at this point, kind of expected that it will work now. Like that's a that is a, a thought that I'd never thought I would ever have. You know, like it's such it's boring now that we can play. Yeah, game. I don't sh- like it. Let's games. go backwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who, want, who yeah. wants games? Let's let's just look at yeah. text documents. Uh, but. The- <laughs> But this is really cool. I looked at this game when we were talking about putting it on the show and um it was it's interesting because I saw a review for it that said, It's a troubling yet beautiful game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 an yeah. interesting way of putting it because it does give you like a weird feeling of like this is you know, you you don't it's just it's a survival game and it's mostly kind of lulls and there's not a lot of action and then all of a sudden a wolf comes and tries to kill you. Like Okay, this is, this is a little bit intense sometimes, <laughs> but it's a really yeah. cool idea of you know like a survival game that's really just about surviving the world rather than you without
0: make believe zombies. Yes. I mean, I'm, I am i kind of give <laughs> it a little bit of a down vote for no zombies because I'm a big zombie freak. But you know, I, I do whatever. like the fact that they not every out directly, game can have zombies. Though.
1: They did say no zombies directly, like so it's you, true. you don't. They didn't you, try to trick me. Yeah, you're not yeah. you're not trying to be you know pull the wool over your eyes or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and it, you can play it as story mode or just as uh, an exploration mode. So it's got two mm. modes. And it's actually, to me, one of the best survival games I've honestly ever played, which is saying a lot because survival games aren't usually the games I play. But this one, it's just that beautiful atmosphere, the beautiful soundtrack, um, the voice acting. just it, It's just a brilliantly atmospheric hunting tapestry of a game and you know go out there and and buy it it's it's wonderful and it's it's 29.99 on steam but it frequently goes on sale so (laughs) you can catch it then
1: Up next in the show, let's talk about the Software Spotlight. If you've ever wanted to create a simple comic strip out of the photos or drawings that you have, then check out PhotoTune. PhotoTune is an open source comic strip creator that's simple to use and has many features for those wanting to dabble in creating a comic strip. Now, whether that you want to make the next great comic or maybe you're like Ryan and want to make a meme of your friends to publicly display in your video podcast, so many options available to you. And as the editor in producer of the show I could choose not to display the comic Ryan made that's rude but I don't want to deprive the audience of your wondrous (laughs) artistry so I I will add it for them uh, not for you for them Uh, Ryan. For those listening to the audio podcast, Ryan has graciously posted it on the forum at dealandforum.com for all to see. So you'll find the links to this wondrous artistry in the show notes.
0: It's a true Uh, story too. It's a comic of Michael and it's a true story. It's a true story. It's also (laughs)
1: hilarious when he sent it to me. I was like, hey, that's really cool. I I like how my beard grew so quickly in
0: one conversation. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't going to do too much editing uh, utilizing the tool, but this is actually a really <laughs> fun tool. It, its sole purpose, again, is to create comic strips. Mm-hmm. You can have a lot of fun with it. I was able to tell a very true story that totally happened about Michael and, uh, and and do it within just a few seconds because all the tools you would need to create a quick comic strip are there. So you can have a lot of fun with tools like this. I, I totally dug it.
1: And also really cool, it comes as a flat pack, so it's really easy to get it, Don't admit it no matter what distro you use.
0: You could be the next Stan Lee. You could? I already proved I could. Wonderful artistry, (laughs) for sure.
2: (laughs) Our tip of the week is dealing with encryption. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I know how to encrypt my drive. I start the installation up and I click on the little box that says, encrypt my drive. And that, you guessed it, encrypts your drive. But what if you have already performed your installation and you have a perfectly running installation or maybe you have an external drive, an external USB drive, an external flash drive, and you say to yourself, hey, I could perform some encryption on that drive and I could store some files on it. So this week, we are going to teach you how to encrypt a drive from the command line. This will work on a server, it'll work on your laptop, it'll work on a desktop, it'll work on a box that you're remoted into over SSH. So the first thing you're going to do is use the fdisk tool to find out the device's name. So we'll do sudo fdisk tac l and we'll look at the results. And we'll see something like dev slash sda, dev slash sdb. We're going to look over at the size column and see if we can find a drive that matches up with the anticipated size of the drive that we want to encrypt. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to install the crypt setup package, and this is what's going to allow us to actually encrypt the drive. And so if you're on a, an Ubuntu-based distro, you'll type sudo apt-git install crypt setup. If you're on something like Fedora DNF in uh, crypt setup, and if you're on Arch, you can compile everything from scratch. Then you're going to set up your encryption device with dm-crypt, dm-crypt. So that would look like something like sudo space crypt setup space lux format, and then the device. So this is slash dev slash sda, sdb, sdc. You want to be real careful here and be absolutely sure. Very careful that you're (laughs) yeah that you're talking the device you think you're talking to. Otherwise, you may inadvertently, accidentally overwrite. Uh, the drive that you're actually using on your computer. So you want to be sure that that letter, SD, whatever the letter is, matches up with the device that you're trying to encrypt.
0: Back up um, everything before you do this.
2: Then you have, back you, up everything you, before you do this, right. Uh, then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to open the device and start mapping it with uh, LuxScript. Now we're going to verify that the block uh, device has been done. Uh, and finally, we're going to make a file system on top of the encrypted drive. So if you think about it like this, we have the bare drive here. Then we have Lux in our encrypted layer. And then on top of that, we're going to put a file system. So we can unlock the the file system or lock it. Um, but when it's in the unlocked form, we need an actual file system that we can write to. And so to do that, we are going to type sudo makefs tact txt4 and then slash dev slash mapper slash and then the name of the drive so in this case usb drive and then finally we can actually mount usb drive with sudo mount space dev slash mapper slash usb drive and then space the mount point so something like slash mount slash usb drive finally we'll verify that the mapper is properly mounted using dftac h and then slash mount slash USB drive and we should see free space now on our unencrypted portion of our encrypted drive. If that doesn't make a whole lot of sense as I'm explaining it in voice, then what you invite you to do is go over to destinationlinux.network and take a look at the show notes. We have it all written out for you there. We'd also invite you to go back and listen to past episodes. We've covered everything from Docker containers to random one-off tips that will help you be more efficient in the command line and on your Linux journey as well. Stay tuned for future episodes, tips and tricks, and Destination Linux.
0: So before we go, I want to talk about a Linux events that are going on out there, and one that really caught my eye that I think everybody should be getting involved in, especially if you're a fan of Fedora is Fedora 35 beta has released and it needs testers. So if you're one of those people, it's like, look, I work full time, I have a family, all this stuff. I don't have time to give back to all these projects that are out there. I would love to help, but I just don't have time. This is something that everyone is capable of doing. You don't have to be a programmer to do this. You can go and download these betas on a machine that you don't need, because they are betas. So keep in mind that there could be issues that pop up. So you don't want to use it on a production machine but go out there and install these things and start testing them. Now it's awesome if you could do it in a virtual machine, it's even better if you could do it on bare metal because that would allow them to see things and issues that would happen with like video cards or different CPU issues or other things that are happening on bare metal. But at the very least, uh, test out uh, Fedora 35 in a virtualized scenario. The Fedora Magazine actually has a post out there talking about ways and tips and tricks for reporting bugs and things that you find This is one of the most important things I think a community can do is go out there during these beta testing weeks and help these distros out, find issues and help them solve them so that when this officially releases and let's say Linus Tech Tips goes and starts looking at Fedora again, we have a very solid, beautiful platform with no bugs that they can play in.
1: I wanted to talk about this too, so I'm really glad that you put it in there because the Fedora 35 has a lot of great stuff coming. So if you're a fan of Gnome, it's going to have Gnome 41. If you're a fan of KDE Plasma, of course I am, you can check out Fedora Kinoite or Kinoite. I mean, it's Kinoite, but I like saying Kinoite. And it is basically, if you've heard of Fedora Silverblue, imagine Silverblue, but with Plasma. So it is a uh, RPM OS tree technology based on uh, basically having an immutable system with atomic updates and having a read-only operating system on the base, which means that it's uh, basically safer because you don't have to deal with the things changing underneath you at all times because the thing that they have and the thing that you have is the same, which is very cool as a concept. So, if you want to try it out, that is currently in beta, as as, as Ryan mentioned. Uh, but it is it's the the first iteration of Kinoite is with Fedora 35. So, I am excited to ch- to take the challenge for testing that one.
0: Absolutely. So, thank you everyone for stopping. What you're doing, even if you're an Arch user, downloading Fedora 35 and testing out that distro. I'm an Arch user, but guess what I'm going to do? I still love Fedora, so I'm going to download it. I'm going to test it. I'm going to put the bug reports in, and then I can go back to Arch, or maybe I'll secretly run Fedora and not tell anybody. But no one will know the difference, and I have helped another distro out there. So a big, huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love your faces. And if you want more DL, you can become a patron like all these beautiful people behind the scenes in our 50,000 square foot virtual stadium. You can't hear them right now, but the crowd is roaring. It's crazy (laughs) in there. We have vending machines that give you Linux gear like this hat. That's where he got the popcorn. It's amazing. Yeah, the popcorn. The popcorn's amazing in our stadium, by the way. But you got to become a patron to get all those perks.
2: In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part? Everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week and we can't wait to see you in the chat
1: and also check out DLNstore.com where you can pick up some swag some t-shirts like hoodies and mugs and sh- and stickers and like the DLN extend shirt that uh, that jill is rocking also earlier in the show you might have seen a little uh, uh easter egg where i did t- or i showed a Quick DLN store plug while Jill was drinking out of her Destination Linux <laughs> mug. It was, it's, you know, anyway, go check out DLNStore.com. You can get so much great stuff to support the network.
3: And make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora podcast. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source. Absolutely. To keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce.
0: Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination.
3: See you The way, way I run Arch. <laughs> oh, really?
0: I didn't know yeah. that, Ryan. Yeah. You didn't say
3: that
1: 40 <laughs> times this <as> today. <laughs>